Praise the Lord. Well, we're going to begin something different this morning. Um, I really didn't know. I finished the series that I've been doing on hope. And I really didn't know kind of what to do. We just came back from vacation. I really did not have a sense. Um, and then it was actually Wednesday night during praise and worship. The Lord often shows me things during praise and worship. Uh, it showed me a, a, a direction to go for just a little while. And uh, I'm going to begin by talking about this. We have, um, we've got four grandchildren. And uh, they'll come over to our house, and they're different ages now. We've got one that's 23. We've got one that's seven. I think she's seven. Um, and, uh, uh, and when they come over to our house, they just love being with us. In fact, two of our grandchildren were with us last night and are here this morning. Um, but when they were young, one of the things they would do is they would come over. We'd often be eating. Uh, and, and then they go into, into our bedroom, and they start digging around in the closet and, and find uh, Nama, Grandma's shoes. And they'd put her shoes on. Sometimes they would put a sweater on or something like that, and they would come out with these big shoes on. Sometimes my grandson would put my shoes on, not, the, not her grandmother's shoes on, and um, put on sweaters, and they'd come out like this, and they were having so... because they were pretending to be grown up. And, uh, and, and it began to trigger in me this picture, because this is where most of us are. See the little boy dressed in his father's clothing. Now, when you're a child, that's cute. Because when you're a child, a young person, that means you're, you, you have an image of what you want to grow into. The problem is that we've got many of us that have been around a long time, and inside grown-ups' clothing in church, we're spiritually that mature. So we're going to talk about growing up. Because the Bible says a lot about growing up. And that's not to suggest that all of us are immature. There are a number of reasons we're going to go through this, uh, this process. And this morning is really just kind of an, an introduction to this to get us to begin to think about this. Because it's the beginning of the year and there are things that I know God wants to do for us, in us, with us, and through us that are going to require us to grow up some. And if we don't understand the process, we'll either miss it or we'll fight it. Because God's process of growing us up is not always comfortable. And when we're comfortable, we've stopped growing. But so for us to understand, first of all, the need to grow this year, for us to understand the process of growth, and to understand the, the, not just growth personally, but growth together as a church. So this is what we're going to talk about. So this is this morning is really just kind of an introduction to that. So we're talking about the need to grow and mature. And, and you notice, I've done a series a while ago, on, I didn't realize it until I went back and, and looked at some of my old notes on growing up. And I was going to call this growing up spiritually, but then I realized growing up requires more than just spiritual growing up. Because there's, there are other types of growing up, and I'm getting ahead of myself here. So we're going to talk about the need to grow and mature. Nature itself teaches us that everything is in the process of growing. Starting small and growing. So, so, so nature teaches us to grow. Genesis chapter 1, let's look there, the very beginning. How God created things. We'll talk a little more about this later on this year maybe. In Genesis chapter 1, God is starting everything. He's created everything. In fact, at this stage... 
He hasn't even put man here yet. Genesis 1, my Bible's starting to fall apart. Verse 11, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose, principle, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. And so the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its own kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. This is the principle of Genesis. The word Genesis is basically a word that means beginnings. It's the book of beginnings. And it, this principle is the principle on which life was created by God. And it's this. It's this principle of the seed. God created... In the beginning, God didn't put seeds here. He had to put trees that produced the seeds. But thereafter, the seed, the tree, contained in itself the fruit, and the fruit contained in itself the seed for more fruit, for more trees or plants, more herbs, and then more fruit and more seeds. And you and I are the result of that in this day right now because God planted a man and a woman, and through the process of his sharing his seed with her, eventually you and I are here. But it's not just the seed. The seed is the, is the, is the potential. The seed is the potential of life and a future. We just talked about, about CareNet, the ministry of CareNet, and what they do is how they rescue babies from being aborted. And the reason the devil hates babies is because that's, there's a future there, there's a potential there. How many, how many future evangelists have been aborted out of their mother's womb? Now, if you've been through an abortion, God is gracious and merciful. He forgives. So I don't want you to feel any sense of condemnation this morning. And this is really not what we're going to talk about. I want to talk about the principle of the seed and the growth. So it starts with the seed, but the potential for life and a harvest is in that seed, but it has to grow up. So let's go to Mark chapter 4. And we'll look at this process. Mark chapter 4, verse 26. And Jesus said, He said, the kingdom of God... So this is how the kingdom of God operates. It's seed time and harvest. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed in the ground and should sleep at night by night and rise up in the day and the seed should sprout and grow. So it starts as a seed. It starts as a seed which contains in it every bit of nutrient that's needed for that thing to grow. But it has to be put in soil and it has to be watered and eventually fed. And if you do that by itself, by the life force of God in that seed, it will produce life. But that life doesn't pop out of the seed as a full-grown stalk of corn, it has to go through a process of growing and maturing. So the seed should sprout and grow. And look at this. He himself, the farmer, doesn't know how. He doesn't need a degree in agricultural engineering. You don't need to know how a seed works. You just need to plant it. I'm, I'm reminded of where Jesus talks about faith. 
And his disciples were struggling with that they didn't have enough faith. And sometimes I think we struggle with, well, I just don't have enough faith. And Jesus' answer is, all you need is faith the size of a mustard seed. Have you ever seen a mustard seed? It's a tiny little thing. So we look at the bigness of our faith. And he said, you see, it's not the size of the seed, he said, but it has to be planted. It has to be sown. Your faith has to be exercised and used. It will not produce anything unless it's sown, unless it's acted upon. In the same way, but, but notice this, the farmer doesn't need to know, you don't need to know how faith works. You don't need to understand. In fact, we know too much. We know too much in this church. We know so much, our heads are... I'm talking about people that have been around for a while. Our heads are about... It's hard to pick our heads up because we're so full of knowledge. But we're sitting in church and not exercising it. We're not taking the seeds that of truth that have been planted in us and sowing them. And part of what God... I can't get off in this, John. Don't get off in this, John. Don't get off in this, John. No, 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 no. no. It'll distract me. But part of what God is showing me is what He intends the church to be. And the church in the United States today and in many parts of the world, in some parts of the world, has really gotten away from what the Word says it's supposed to be. And we're going to talk about that. We're redoing what membership means here based around what the Word says, not what's worked in the past or what other people are doing. But that takes some time as God's working this in me. See, that's why I don't want to get off on that because now I forgot what I was saying. Okay. He doesn't know how. You see, he just plants. All he does, but there's a process. It has to grow. Verse 28. And here's the process. The earth yields crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the full grain in the head. So everything that God has created has to go through a process where it starts as a seed and it has to go through a process of growing and of maturing until it comes to the place where it begins to produce a head. Now verse 29. And when the grain ripens, when it matures, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So God's process, the process of Genesis in the beginning, the process of life as God has created it, it starts with a seed. And if that seed is treated correctly, it will begin to burst forth and it will begin a process of maturing and of growing. And it's a process. And with each type of seed, that process is a little different. It takes different periods of time. But the ultimate purpose of it is for it to grow and then to mature. And when it matures, it produces fruit. And that fruit is harvested to bring food and benefit to others. And human life is no different. Human life as designed by God starts with a seed that germinates and goes through a process, which we'll talk about next week, a process of growing and maturing. And the purpose of it all, eventually, is that 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 human being should grow up and mature and produce fruit that others feed off of that now becomes seed in their life that begins to produce in them eventually fruit in their lives, and you have this ongoing explosion of life. And we have how many billion people on the earth today? What, seven billion people? When I was born, I think there was one. 
and I'm only 70 some years old. It, it explodes exponentially. Exponentially. So there's a process of growth that's ordained by God anywhere He creates life. See, God didn't just say, okay, I'm going to have people... Now, He had to start with the first ones because the seed had to come from somewhere that sowed it. So this is what we're going to begin to talk about today. And it's the growth that produces a harvest. Our own lives are the process of growing up. We start as an infant, we start as a, as a, as a child in, in our mother's womb. And we grow to the place where we're, 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 we're mature enough to come forth and breathe on our own. And I remember that when our, my, my wife was pregnant with our last two children at the same time, twins, quite unexpectedly, and, um, and, and I remember the doctor saying, you know, normally twins are delivered prematurely because you just can't hold that much. And by God's grace, she brought them to full term. Seven, seven, and six, fourteen. Ouch. Ladies went ouch. And what the doctor was explaining to us is if they come out too early, then it's harder for them to sustain. Our, we, our great-grandson was born early, and they had to leave him in the hospital because he was not, he was not functioning enough on his own to go home. And so if you come forth too early, you're not ready. So God's design is that a child grows in the mother's womb, we'll get, I'll get into this more next week, until it's time to come forth where he can begin to be sustained in his own bodily functions and then grows and matures until he becomes a full-grown man or woman. And that's a process. And so our whole life is a process of growing and maturing. Our physical life is the process of growing and maturing. Our emotional life is the process of growing and maturing. Our, in, in, our, me, our in mind, our mental life, is the process of growing and maturing. Life itself is a process. I was talking with, with Neil Gass yesterday, Bob Gass's brother, who's a friend of mine. He's been here a number of years ago. And we're talking about a book that was popular in the 70s called uh, um, <laughs> Passages. It talks about the different stages of life you go through. And, and, and so life is, is full, life, is, life is constant change. We began last year ministering on change out of Ecclesiastes 3. For every thing, time on earth, there's a season for things. There's seasons for life. There's seasons for churches. There's seasons for everything that God has created. Because in this world, everything is in the process of growing, changing. So this is what we're going to begin to talk about. So... Our own lives are in the process. Right now, you are in the process of changing. And you are either in the process of growing up more, or you're in the process of going back more, because you can't stay still. Our physical life is a maturing process. Our emotional life is a maturing process. Our social life is a maturing process. We'll talk about that. And our spiritual life is a maturing process. And just as there are stages of physical growth, just as there are stages of emotional growth, there are stages of spiritual growth. And we're very conscious of the physical stages because here's the obvious things what's wrong with this, is this young boy is not old enough to wear his father's suit. And so if he were to go to school like that, we know something's wrong with this picture. We may not know exactly whether the picture is he's really a man that hasn't grown up yet, 
Or this is a really a little boy who's wearing his father's suit. He's just not mature enough to wear it. We don't, but we know something's wrong. Okay? If you've got a 22-year-old son that's still sitting in a high chair and you're feeding him, something's wrong. We may not figure out exactly, but something doesn't line up in this picture. So when it comes to the physical growing, those, when there's a disparity, when there's somebody has not grown physically and they're dealing with things, it's obvious. But in these other areas of life, it's not quite so obvious. Emotionally it can be, because you get some people, and we see that sometimes in church. We see some that, that sometimes with parents in school, when your kids are in school. When you're a teacher in a school, you find out some things about parents. Because when you mess with their kids, you find out where they really are. And you find out some parents are not as mature as their kids, but we won't go there. So emotionally it shows up. But spiritually it's harder to discern unless you understand what the stages of growth are. So this is part of why we're going to begin to talk about this. So here's another issue. It, there's a danger in not understanding... There's a danger in not understanding physical maturity. There's a danger in not understanding emotional maturity. Sometimes parents, when you're learning how to discipline or train your children, you, you don't know, well, what's too hard? What's too soft? How do I... How do, what do I do? And I had to realize that... And, and we may get off and talk about this a little bit. You can't discipline your six-month-old the same way you discipline your 16-year-old because you expect different things of them. So how you discipline them, how you train them, depends on their age, what they're able to handle. Jesus said to His disciples right at the end, He said, I have many more things to show you. He just finished saying to them, you're not my servants, but you're my, you're my friends. Pastor Kurt quoted this during worship today. He said, because he said, he said no greater love than as a man that he lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends. Because a, a, a master doesn't tell his servant what he's doing, but he says, your friends you tell them. And then he went on to say, and I have many more things I want to tell you, but I can't tell you yet because you're not yet able. So he knew what they could handle. They were not yet mature enough. They had not yet grown spiritually enough to, know, to be able to handle things. And this is where we are in many ways. There's things God wants to do for us, things God wants to do in us, but he knows we're not yet ready to handle them. Now that's fine if you haven't had the time to grow to that stage. The problem is if you've been around for 20 years and you still look like that, then we've got some issues. And so it's important to be able to understand what these stages of growth are spiritually and what they mean, what the signs of them are and why it's important to progress. There's a danger in not understanding these things. First of all, you get frustrated. Because God has designed you to grow, and if you're not growing, you'll be frustrated. You may get depressed, you may get discouraged. If somebody is growing and maturing along the lines God's calling them, they will be satisfied with life. That doesn't mean everything's going to go the way you want, but there will be an inner sense of satisfaction because you're doing and being who God made you to do and be. But when we sit down and refuse to grow up, or we just don't grow up because we don't know that's what we're supposed to do, there becomes a frustration because God on the inside, that seed of life on the inside, is trying to sprout forth and begin to bring forth life, and we're holding it back. We're not cooperating, and so there's a tension on the inside of us. And that tension brings a frustration. 
So what's, what's causing the frustration in many Christians is they're not doing what God's called them to do. Out of ignorance, out of stubbornness, out of pride, whatever it is, but it will still cause that frustration. So we're going to go through this and learn this because we want to be able to cooperate with God in this process. Okay, everybody with me so far? All right, four of you are that's good. Okay. So things in natural life, as I said, become obvious when they're not growing. Something's wrong. If a mother, I've had, we've had cases of this, where, where a mother necessarily who's been pregnant realizes, you know, I haven't felt any movement there. That's a sign. I need to go check it out. So if, 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 some, if we're not growing, there's a frustration that takes place. Okay. When we're not maturing, and this is important to understand, when you're not, you're, you're either growing or you're stagnating. Because God put a seed in you of life, especially when you got saved. He put His life in you. And His life in you, just like that seed, has the, 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 the drive and the power to grow inside of you. It's as if there's a seed in you trying to grow. And if we fight it, if we ignore it, this is going to create a pressure and a tension inside of us because God's trying to do things in you, trying to mature you. And when, so when we stagnate, when we stop growing, we stagnate. I still marvel sometimes that I'm 72 years old. I don't feel, I was talking to somebody the other day, I said, I feel, I feel physically, I feel mo- mentally and emotionally as if I'm in, in my 50s. And I think part of that is, I don't think in old terms. I'm always learning, I'm always growing, I'm always find, finding areas in my life that need to change and need to grow. Because when you stop growing, you start dying. Now your body will die, but you don't have to. When you stop, if you start buying into what the world teaches you, well at a certain age, you know, you're retired, there's nothing wrong with retiring from a job, but you don't retire from life. You don't retire from being a Christian. The retirement for Christianity is when you leave this earth, and even that's not retirement, you're going to work in heaven. You understand you don't get up there and sit on a cloud with a harp. Mm. There are things to do, because He's sending us back down here when the millennial, when Christ comes back to establish His millennial kingdom, the church is coming back to administer His kingdom here. And what you're going to do when He sends you back is based on how faithful you were to learn and to grow in the things He had for you to do here. You're determining your eternal job. And God's at work in us to do this. I'll show you that in a minute. So when we're not maturing, we're stagnating. And when you stagnate, things begin to decay. It's a great example in Israel of two seas. There's the Sea of Galilee, which is full of life. It's teeming with fish and life because water flows into it and water flows out of it down through the Jordan River and at the very southern end of it, it ends up in called the, what's called the Dead Sea. That ought to give you some indication. And the Dead Sea is dead because nothing can live in it. Some of you have been to Israel and you have gone into the sea and you float because it's so full of salt and minerals that you can float. Or the picture of people reading a newspaper floating. No, no blow-up floating. You're just floating on the, on the salt that's in there. 
Why is it? It's because nothing can grow there because what flows in never flows out. So when we stagnate in our Christian growth, what happens is we, when we stagnate, things begin to die. Things grow in the dark and in stagnation that are not healthy. Mold grows. Mold does not grow out in the light and the sun. Some of you have had to deal with mold in your house when you've got a flood. We've had the floods a few years ago and people had to deal with mold. Mold is where something gets wet and it's never exposed to the light. And so this, these things begin to grow in there that are not good and are not healthy. That same is true spiritually. Discontent. Discontent comes because you're not doing what you're supposed to do. Discontent. All of these symptoms, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Discontent. Frustration. Discouragement. All these, notice these things end in di- begin in dis. These things all are a symptom of stagnation, that I'm not growing and changing. Life is exciting with God. I mean, what could be more exciting than walking with God? Whoa, my goodness. <laughs> What could be more exciting than... See, he's smiling. He's in it. He wants to grow up. No. Wait a minute. Thank you. Now, there are consequences to not maturing. We're going to talk about those. We need to understand those consequences. Maturing, growing up is not an option. Well, I don't like that. So I'm just going to bide my time here as a Christian until I go to heaven or Jesus comes back. You can choose to do that, but there are consequences to that. Just as in school, at least it used to be this way, I don't know if it still is, there's consequences to not passing your courses. Pastor Sam used to joke, He said, they finally kicked me out of the eighth grade for not shaving. (laughs) I was there so long. So we're going to begin to see there's consequences to not maturing, to not growing. There's nothing to be afraid of, but we need to know that God is at work in us because I'm getting ahead of myself. The next thing we need to look at, this it's a process. And that's one of the most difficult things for people to understand because people can get frustrated sometimes because they're not growing fast enough. And, and you've got to understand it's a process. Just as your physical growth, and we're going to look at your physical and emotional growth uh, uh, next week as a pattern for showing what the, pa- the, the stages of spiritual growth are. But just as that is a process. I mean, the process of, of gestation in a mother's womb is nine months for human beings. Nine months. And by the end of that, the ladies are saying, I wish it were five or six or seven, okay? But it's nine months. God has ordained a period of time. So if you're just born again, if you're a brand new Christian, you cannot expect yourself to be walking in the level of maturity of someone who's been doing this 37 years. But if you've been doing this 37 years and you're still walking at the level of somebody who's six months saved, there's a problem. There's a problem. So not maturing is an option you have, but there are consequences that go with it. The other thing about the process is God is at work in this process. This is not something, this is not a project that is, is, is fully in your lap. When I got saved, um, 
we were, I was in my late 30s. And uh, I was never... I, fortunately, we were not saved into a church that was very legalistic, that had a bunch of do's and don'ts. Because some of you were saved into a church that the moment you got saved, they handed you, they handed you the list of things you could do. That was very short. And then this huge book of things you couldn't do. How you had to dress, how you had to talk, how you had to, what you could go to, what you couldn't go to. Fortunately, I was not handed that book. I was handed this book. What I found happening is there was changes taking place on the inside of me without people telling me I had to do it. And I never, I never drank. I, I mean, I never smoked. I was not a smoker. But, but I was raised by two alcoholics. Two, I had a father who was an alcoholic. I had a stepfather who was an alcoholic. And so I enjoyed a good drink when I came home. I wouldn't get drunk, but I enjoyed a good drink when I got home. Sometimes I liked a second drink after I came home. And I felt God begin to deal with me about that. I didn't have anybody tell me to stop doing it. I just, the desire inside of me began to change. And it was not like it just went away. It's like, wait a minute, something doesn't, picture doesn't add up here. And not only that, you've got children and you're teaching them to do something that, 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 because you're the model example for them. What do you want them to be like? Because one of the first things God began to show me is, is you are the leader of this home. And I said, well, what does it mean to be the, the, the leader ahead of my home? He says, you do it first. You become the example. And so I remember, and I'm not telling you got to do this. I'm just saying, this, this, I'm, I'm talking about this is a process of God working in me to chain, make changes in my life. So one morning, I brought, evening, I brought our kids to the, 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 we only had two at the time, to the sink, and I opened my liquor cabinet, and I had some good stuff. I had some expensive stuff. And I poured it down the drain in front of them. And it didn't bother me, because something inside of me was becoming bigger than that alcohol in those bottles, than the taste of that. So it's a process. And with each one of us, that process was going to be a little different because God has, has tailor-made a program for maturing you that's different than the program for maturing me. This is how much... I'll look at it this way. If we had time this morning to have each one of you share your testimony of how you came to Christ, we would have a different story for every person in this room. Isn't that amazing? God who would have the right to say, look, you need to come to me. This is the program. You either do it or you don't. But God wanted you so much. He sent His Spirit to lead you across to just the right people, to see just the right TV program, to pick up just the right magazine, to hear just the right radio program, to just work in your life, to meet whatever your questions were, personally and individually designed it to reach you. But that same God doesn't stop there. He personally designed a program for raising you up. We have these, you know, there's some of these gyms where you go, like we go to the Y, where it's just you do whatever you think you need to do. But you can hire a personal trainer. There may even be some in our congregation. And what they do is they find out how old you are, how heavy you are. They find, they learn about you. And then they tailor a training program not only for you, what you can handle, but for what you want to accomplish. If you want to win the marathon in the next Olympic, they do it one way. If you want to just be healthier, they'll do it another way. God does that, except the difference is it's His goal for your life, not your goal for your life. 
It's a process. It's not about what we want. We're going to see that in a minute. It's not about what we want us to be end up. It's what God wants us to, how God wants us to end up. But the encouraging thing is we're not doing this alone. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved Christians, as you've also always obeyed, not as, not even, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. So here's Paul saying, you know, you came to church and I taught you what you should be doing, but you're doing this even when you're not in church. You're growing and changing even when you're not at church. Why? Because, where is it? Not beloved, not in my presence, but how much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation. I'm not talking about getting saved. He's talking about the salvation that's in you to work it out to knead it out. See, there's a side we have to bear to work this salvation, this life that God's put in us to work this out with fear and trembling. That's not afraid of God, but why? Verse 13. Because it's God in you. This is not yourself, Christian self. There's so many, and I'm not against them. If one's blessed you, fine. If you've written one, fine. But you go into a Christian bookstore, there are whole sections on Christian self-help just like there are in the world's bookstores on self-help. And they're often, what they, many times they are, it's just a, you know, and I haven't read them all, so I'm not speaking about everybody. Many times, each person, these people have had their own personal journey of what go, has really helped them to grow, so they write a book for you to follow their journey so that you can grow. And we read it, we get encouraged, and we don't do it. It's like a diet, Okay? The answer is, God's at work in you. God's at work in you, but we have to cooperate with Him so that He can work it out in us. And the fear and trembling is to realize, it's God that's in work in me, and there's a lot at stake on whether I allow Him to do this in me, or I don't, or I drag my heels. For it's God who work, is at work in you, I love this, both to will and to do His good pleasure. If, if we will to do it, we'd go ahead and do it. <laughs> I remember one morning, oh Lord, you're so gracious. What I would do for a long time is I would get down, I'd pray down in my, our basement, and I had a, a, a bench I'd kind of kneel over, and, and I was praying, and I said, God, help me, because I really want to do your will. I really want to do your will. And I was just crying out one morning, I really want to do your will. God said to me, then why don't you do it? No, 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 I want to tell you how much I really want to do it. I don't want to do it. I want to tell you how much I really want to do it. I want to, sh- I want to show you what my good intentions are, but I don't want to do it. And all the Lord was doing, disposing me, the problem is your will. And I went, oh my goodness, I'm in trouble. And then this scripture came to me. Yeah, but it's God at work in my will. There's a saying, you know, you can't, you can lead a horse to the water, but you can't make a drink. And you can't make, God can't make you do what He wants you to do. That's right. But I remember Lafayette Sales, but He sure can influence you. He sure can influence you. God has has thousands of years experience working with people's wills that are against Him. So the encouraging thing is God is at work in you to change your will. 
as long as you're open to allow Him to do it. He's at, willing, he's both, he's at work in you both to will and then to do His good pleasure. He's at work in you both to will and to do this pressure. So God has put this life in you that He wants to grow and mature and produce fruit in your life. Remember Jesus said in John chapter 15, You didn't choose me. I chose you. And I chose you so that you would bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. It would be lasting fruit. God chose us. He created us. He saved us to bear fruit through us. The fruit of our lives. It's not the works you do. It's the fruit of your life. People drawing from the peace that you have. Drawing from the love that you have. People all around you at work. I remember having people around me at work that were hurting, that were lonely, that would just sometimes just want to come and sit with us. Sometimes the needle say, we're out somewhere. People were drawn to us, especially her. She said, there's something about, there's a light about it. We don't notice it because we're in it all the time. But you're out in a dark world of darkness and if you're walking with the Lord and if you're growing, there's a light about you. There's a peace about you. There's a joy about you. You may not be feeling it this morning, but compared to darkness, it's brilliant in contrast. God is at work in you to do what He wants to do. This is the fear and trembling part of it. Not afraid of it. It's an awesome respect. God is in me producing what He wants to do for me, in me, and through me. God is at work in us. Philippians 1, verse 6. Therefore be confident of this very thing, that He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So what God began in you when you came to Christ, He didn't intend to stay, stop there. He intended it to grow and mature, and He's at work in you to do it. And He who begun in work will help you to complete it until the day of Christ. Now there's a part God has to play, and there's a part that we have to play. Okay. Now, that's the good news. The bad news, which is really good news, is that every stage of growth challenges us. Just as every stage of physical growth challenges us. Because in order to grow physically, you have to take risks. I'll still remember, the only one I clearly remember is our daughter when she began to walk. Because we were, we were going to visit Anita's parents and we had just arrived and we were in their living room. And you could tell she was getting ready because she'd stand up and hold on to the table and, and do this. And you could tell her her legs were strong enough that she could do it. She just didn't have the confidence that she could do it. But somehow she got there in the presence of her grandparents and the excitement and, and while we're all talking, I could just see her suddenly let go. And I don't remember, did she walk to you or me? But she left one of us and she could see this in her eyes. It's time. Now, she was physically ready before then. It's time. Okay? And, and I, I don't remember whether she made it the first time or not. I don't think she did. She, she got out there. You know, that's scary. There's a risk for the first time. Oh, this will preach. There's a risk to let go 
of what you're used to holding on to for this whole year of your life. And now let go of what's, let go of what's secure, let go of what's comfortable, but I, I'm never going to progress to the level where I can walk on my own if I continue to hold on to this table, if I continue to hold on to mom's hand or her lap. And at some point I got to let go and I got to take a... I hate saying that word. I got the R word. A, r- a risk. I got to take a risk and s- begin to step out. So we're going to see that, that growing, maturing from one level to another always, always involves stepping out of your comfort zone. This church, like many other churches, has an enormous, enormous barrier around it. A boundary around this church. And, and there's a label on what's inside. And it's called our comfort zone. We're comfortable in here. I mean, you've got your own seat assigned to you. It's already formed for whatever it is you sit in it. It's got your impressions in it. In the wintertime, it's warm. In the summertime, it's cooled. You've got friendly people that want to see you. We've got people that greet you at the door. We've got, we've got all kinds of things to make you feel so comfortable. And that's wonderful. But you know, there's nowhere in the Bible that I know of that says God has ordained us to be comfortable. In fact, we're going to learn this year, He's ordained just the opposite. So if we're going to walk on with Jesus, we are going to get uncomfortable. So there, I got it out at the beginning of the year. Where we're going is going to confront, and I got to tell you this, it starts with me, because God's been dealing with me about my comfort areas. In the service, I'm a teacher. I, I love praise and worship. I, but I, I'm just, I can't wait to get up here, okay? And let the gift that God's put in me and the message God's put in me flow because it satisfies me. But that may be not what God wants to do some morning. And see, by telling you this, <laughs> I'm uncomfortable right now. But I've begun to pray, Lord, you're at work in me both to will and to do your good pleasure. Whatever, see, I'll say, Lord, whatever you want to do Sunday morning, but I don't mean that. I mean, whatever you want to do that I'm comfortable with. Okay? And so, so I'm, I'm going through this just like you're going to go through it. God's going to get us out of our... If you're willing. Now, if you're determined to stay comfortable, then God's going to pass you by. I'm not saying He won't go to heaven. He will pass you by. But what's going to happen is you'll stagnate. And what happens when something stagnates long enough? It begins to stinketh. Lazarus was in the grave four days. And what did his sister say? Don't pull that rack back. back. He stinks. She wasn't referring to what her brother was like. He stopped growing for four days. A church can stink in the Lord's nostrils. Okay. So maturing requires us to get out of... But the good news is... 
when you get out of the comfort zone, you grow and there's freedom. The discouragement, the complacency, all those dis things go away and there's life because that life is in you. You don't have to make it happen. It's in you. God is in you to work through you, to mature you and to grow you and then to bear fruit through you. He's pressing in you to do you. We just need to let Him do it and cooperate with Him. So what we're going to learn beginning next week is this process. We're going to learn the process that God has ordained. And we'll learn we can either cooperate with Him or we can fight Him. And if you don't understand the principles, you may be fighting Him and not realize you are. Proverbs 13.1 A wise son heeds or listens to his father's instructions. I think the New, the new American Standard says correction or discipline. But a scoffer doesn't, doesn't listen to rebuke his father's. So a wise son listens to the correction to the training, to the discipline of his father. But a fool basically doesn't listen to the rebuke. We're going to learn more about that. Hebrews 12, verse 5, one of my favorite scriptures. Now, the entire book of Hebrews, basically from chapter 1, starting especially in chapter 2, on up through chapter 11, is a correction. I don't have time this morning to go into what he was correcting them for, but it's a correction. And so now as he's helping them handle the correction, the writer of Hebrews says, Have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons? My son, do not despise the chastening. That word literally means training. Chastening sounds, oh gosh, he's mad at us. No, the word means training, maturing of the Lord. Don't despise it. Don't be discouraged when you're rebuked by Him. We're going to talk about this as we get into that because He's talking about how to receive the Lord's correction, the Lord's discipline. Again, discipline has this word, God's mad at us, I've done something wrong. No, discipline just means to train, to equip, to help you grow and mature. Because this is what you've got to read, we've got to remember. Because whom the Lord loves, He chastens or disciplines or trains. He does this because He loves us. And this was a challenge for me. Because although I know my father loved me, he was, I don't have time to get into it, he had so many issues in his life, whatever he did with me to do this didn't come across as love. It didn't encourage me that I could, I could, I could do what he said. It, it caused me to be afraid of him and pull back and hide. And with so many Christians are afraid of God that they run, they run from his correction. Because the Lord, whom the Lord loves, He scourges. We don't like that word either. That sounds bad. That just means if you need a spanking, He'll spank you. And God has His own ways of doing that. He scourges every son whom He receives, verse 7. This is what I wanted to get to. Now this is a little difficult to understand, and I'll tell you what the Greek says in a minute. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. Basically this says, if you will respond to God's correction as a son, then if you will respond to God's correction, then you will allow God to work in your life as a father would work with his son. But if you faint or you run away then you're, or you resist him, then you're not allowing God to work in you to bring about the growing and maturing that he wants to do. That's what that verse is saying. 
verse um, 8. But if you are without chastening, if God's not disciplining you, of which we've all become partakers, then you're illegitimate and you're not sons. So when God's your Father, He will correct you. Verse 9. Furthermore, we have human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. This is assuming a good father. Shall we not much more readily be subject to the Father of spirits and live? We'll stop there. Proverbs 13, 24. It says, He who spares a rod, who doesn't discipline his son, he who, he who, he who spares his rod hates his son. But he who loves him disciplines him, notice that, promptly. The point here is God will challenge us. God will work with us. God will discipline us in the process of growing and maturing. Why? Because He loves us. We didn't read the verses in Hebrews, but He wants to produce in us a peaceable fruit of holiness. God wants to produce fruit out of your life, but because none of us are there yet, we all have issues in our life, God wants to work in you, in me, to change us, to discipline us, and we need to learn to cooperate with Him. But He does it because He loves us. He's a loving Father, and He knows exactly how to do it with you, so we can trust ourselves to Him. For He who loves Him disciplines Him promptly, but if God did not discipline us, it means He hates us. That means we as parents, if we don't discipline our children, what does the Bible say? We hate them. I remember one time when one of our, son, one of our children was, well, I won't mention the age, was at a certain age. He was probably 10. And it, a good child, because you've got to discipline children differently depending on what their bent is like. And, and he did something. I've forgotten what it was. And I sent him in his room, and I came in, and I applied, I applied the rod of correction to the seat of learning. <laughs> he turned around and looked at me, and I'll never forget it. He said, Dad, I'd begun to wonder whether you still loved me. I went, whoa. That young man knew that when I corrected him, that was a sign of my love for him. We're in a day and age where parents are, 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 are taught and are believe that the responsibility of a parent is to be their child's best friend. That is totally unscriptural and it's responsible for a lot of what we're dealing with with our young people today. You're responsible as a parent is to train up a child in the way they should go. Training involves all kinds of things, loving them, caring for them, but it involves training them, molding their life, and we're going to talk about some of that next week. The last point I want to get across to you, we're not going to have time to really get into it this morning. We've been talking so far about the process and the purpose that God has for us as individuals to grow up and mature. But there's also a process by which God ordains for a church to grow up and mature together. It's not just us as individuals, individually growing up and maturing. It's God is causing us to grow and mature together as a church. Because as I've said over and over again, and this is part of where we're going to go this year, this is part of what may make, will make us uncomfortable. A church is not just a group of people that come together to the same building to sing songs and hear good messages on a Sunday morning. 
A church is an organism. It's the body of Christ. It is a community of believers. It is a family. It is a part of the family of God. And God designed Christians to mature and to grow in the grace of God and the love of God only as we relate to one another and to Him. You cannot grow as a Christian if you're only relating to God. Proverbs 18.1 It's the last scripture in, your, in the notes I gave them. Proverbs 18.1 A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. In other words, he's selfish. A man who tries to grow as a Christian simply by his relationship with God is selfish. And rages, look at that, rages against wise judgment. So part of the journey we're on this year together is learning to grow together as the body of Christ. That means getting out of our comfort zones together. And if you could stand here and see, you're, this is the most beautiful sight to me is to see you on a Sunday morning. But there's so many blank chairs in between you. Those are your comfort zones. The person you're sitting next to, right next to, you're comfortable sitting next to. But when we come in and sit, and I do the same thing. I let it come in and I, you know, especially in New England, especially in the United States, because we like our, we're independent. We like our chair. We like our zone. I, I, you know, I'm comfortable saying hello and hugging you, but you know, but we're, we're uncomfortable when we have to get closer to one another. But if we're going to grow and mature as a church, we have to do that. Because otherwise we'll stagnate as a church. Because as we were singing one of those songs, I was reminded of the vision that I shared with you last year. The vision that God gave me out of Ezekiel, out of a river of life flowing out of this church. A river of life. But that's a river of love. And it starts with the love we have for one another. And that's the love we give to the church, to the world. Jesus said, the world will know what I'm like. The world will know what I'm like by the billboards you put up over, over Route 95. No. The world will know what I'm like by the TV program you have. That's good. No. The world will know what I'm like by how big the church is and how full it is. No. He says, the world will know what I'm like by the love you have for one another. And this is my commandment, that you love one another. And he didn't end there. He said, as I have loved you. God's going to challenge us this year to grow in our love for one another in this body. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today. The Word of God tells us, because you're a father, a good father. We sang that a year or so ago, over and over again. You're a good, good father. But you teach us because you're a good father. You love us and accept us where we are right now. You love us. There's nothing we can do to make you love us more. And if we've been here for 30 years and have never grown, that doesn't cause you to love us any less. But because you love us, you will not leave us where we are. Because you love us, you will challenge us, you will woo us, you will draw us, you will do what's ever necessary to help us to grow and mature 
into the fullness of who you've designed us and planned for us to be. And so as we begin this journey together, we're looking for unto you, the author, Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So we set our eyes on him, on Jesus, the author, and we put our trust in you. We thank you, Father, as we take hold of your hand and the hand of one another together to begin that journey of growing up, maturing, and taking on the fullness of who you've called us to be in Christ. And for that grace, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.